This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. G'day guys, Brett McCullum here and welcome to Awesome Humans COVID-19 edition where we're recording from our home studio here on the Gold Coast. Uh, We're going to have some awesome guests over the coming weeks, so uh, watch out, look out. We're going to get as much content out there as we possibly can, and uh, let's see how this all rolls. Cheers. As a kid, I loved footy, and, and growing up on the New South Wales Central Coast, everyone played rugby league, but that was never my game. AFL, Aussie rules, aerial ping pong, whatever you want to call it was my sport of choice. I did all right. I played for the Clarny Vale Bombers for a long time, played a lot of rep footy and the dream of one day playing in the AFL. For me, it didn't eventuate. I was actually a skinny kid, I know it's hard to believe now, and uh, had little skills, so that's why I didn't make it. But my guest today had the pleasure of playing in the great arena for 14 years. He was the first overall draft picked in 1994. Six foot five or 195 centimetres. He used to weigh about 95 kilos. We can probably review him a bit about that in this one. Uh, and he was a ruckman. He started a lot of businesses. Uh, he's had a stroke and come back from a bit of adversity. He beats me a lot at golf, but I'm proud to call him a mate. Hold into your hats. This is going to be a good one. Welcome, Mr. Jeffrey White. Hello, How are you, buddy? Hello, Brett. Hold on to your hats. I'm good. I'm good, mate. Uh, thanks for the intro. I really appreciate it. It's very nice of you. Very nice. No, I'm I'm sometimes am a nice person, mate. That's that's the way I try and make this happen. <laughs> mate, the way I always silly. love to start this podcast is uh, is by asking you how far you can go back with your memory. So, what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? Geez, now you're going back a while. Um, oh, look, I, I think I've sort of, you know, had now that I've got kids, so. I've, I've got three boys, Kalani who's 12, and identical twin boys who are nine. I think for me, I think you go back, when you start having kids, you start reminiscing of what you did as a kid. Yeah. And and I and I think more more so now that they're starting to play footy and and all different sports, basketball and, and golf and, and so on and so forth. And also school academic and so on and so forth. But yeah, I think uh yeah, like I guess memories for me is just uh you know, uh, I had a had a really bad burn. I've got I've actually got a massive burn scar on my left shoulder. So um, the kids always often remind me how that happened. And I was two, I was three when it happened. And I was I was actually uh, trying to I was playing around with my grandfather, pulled the tablecloth and boiling hot water pulled away my shoulder. So I've got a scar there, and I I vividly remember to this day. I remember driving down to the hospital when I was in the actual car and I actually remember being in the cot. I was in that much pain. So from a from a childhood memory, I think that's the the earliest memory of yeah. that sort of stuff. And then beyond that, I think it was more sort of being out the front playing footy and um, you know, just kicking across the road, directly across us. He had two trees, uh, and I guess this is where post high comes from, but he had two trees that looked like goalposts, and we we had grass, but we had nothing. So I got my mum to actually go down to the plant store and plant four trees across the lawn so we could play across <laughs> the road. And and back then, you didn't really worry about you know scratches on your knees and uh, all that sort of stuff. You just played wherever you wanted to, and and you know the the I guess the 
the school bell to come inside was when it was dark. So memories for me like that, you know, it was a lot of sport. I love, you know, I, I like school for the fact that, you know, I wasn't an A-grade student, probably C or B, but um, I really liked this the social part of school. But from a sporting perspective, I tried everything. My dad was playing tennis, so I did that. Um, you know, I was I was obviously playing footy, but I played a lot of basketball. Uh, you so always I a big up, kid? Uh, I think it's a, yeah, it was, I think it's similar to what my, and, and this is going back to, you know, reliving things that I went through yeah, as a yeah. kid. I see my son, my, my son's six foot now. He's just got over six foot. He's 12 years of age. So he's a monster. We call him the mini giraffe, but uh, I look at him and he just progressively just keeps growing. And there are yeah. kids at school that are tall than him that have really had a growth spurt really early. And that was me. I sort of was a progression, I guess. So it's quite lean, quite skinny. Um, so that was my progression as a kid in the in the height factor. I was very athletic, but I was very inconsistent as a as a sportsman because I guess when you when you're young, you're trying to you, you know your your actual ability is trying to catch up with your height. You're trying to learn balance and all that sort of stuff. And I was a big loper. I used to lope around a lot. So yeah. So I guess I I think my biggest growth spurt happened when I was about 13 and when what happened with that I was actually playing a lot of basketball I couldn't play I couldn't actually play sport for six months because my Achilles was stretching so far that I was too quick I was growing too quick yeah so I had to stop sport for about six months um and where do you get that from is that from your oldies or are they tall or how's that work yeah my dad's six foot four he played a lot of sport actually he uh he had a hat trick on the day I was born so, oh, did pretty, he? Pretty, yeah. <laughs> so I was born at ten o'clock. Um, he went straight to the. He went straight to cricket and uh, had a hat trick. What a great day! <laughs> That's a pretty you good love story. That. Great day. It was so a great day. Born, where were you born? I was born in Oakley in Melbourne. So okay. Uh, yeah, we we lived at a uh, lived there. I was born. I was actually born in Moorabbin. We were living in Oakley at the time, and I think we we're only there for six months, and then we. Um, we ventured on down to Frankston of all places. So yep. I, uh, the boys were born in Frankston Hospital. My, I've got two siblings, uh, brother Timmy and younger brother Ricky. So we uh, we ventured on down there and that's where we grew up. That's where we so played. So what are you? Are you the oldest? Are you the middle? Where, where do you I'm the oldest. In? You're the oldest. So I'm how, the oldest. What's the age difference? Uh, there's four years between me and Timmy in the middle one and then there's one year between Timmy and Ricky. Okay, so, so. you beat up one of those kids, did you? Yeah, well, I had a lot of fights with the middle one, and then the, the younger <laughs> one was a bit more like me. So, but the middle one was the he was the pests, but now he's the more reserved one. He's the very quiet, very, very introverted one. So it's a it's a total three sixty. It's quite interesting how that sort of pans out in life. But uh, beautiful kids, you know. Um, and you know, I had a, a, gr- a great upbringing. A very, you know, you know, we were just a. You know, just a, an average household. We uh, we got the opportunity to play sport. We hang around with great people and great families. And you know, we uh, we just love the the sport. We love travelling. Uh, we went to Marimbula every uh, every September holidays to watch the grand final and have our holidays there. So and that was a ritual. Uh, great, really thoroughly. That was our ritual every year. Yeah. So we always had the same campsite that we went to. We take the caravan there and. Um, you know, we had a same friends that to this day are still 
still friends. So from that one campsite, we developed a lot of really close family friends. So it was, uh, yeah, it was great. It was good fun. And yeah, we just, uh, mum and dad gave us every opportunity to do what we wanted to do in life. And what, uh, so where'd you go to school? What was your first school? Uh, so I went, so in, it was a bit of an eye-opener coming up here where, you know, you got TSS and also you started pre-prep all the way through year 12. In Melbourne, it's it's primary school, secondary school. So it's actually different. Some of the schools in Melbourne are a bit like that. You can start from, you know, Trinity and a few other schools like that. You can start from prep and all the way through. But went to a school called St. Augustine's there for till grade six. And then a portion of us in that year level went to John Bull College, uh, secondary school. And that was pretty cool. The other kids coming from other other ends and other schools and stuff like that. So is that a yeah, private school or a public school? It was a Catholic school, private Catholic. Um, yeah, really good school. Um, actually, when I first arrived in year seven, a player by the name of Rod Harvey was in year 12. So um, played for St Kilda, won two Brownlows. So the back, uh, still to this day, but the junior school was separated from the senior school. So I used to try and um, sneak onto the Oval of the senior school because I knew Robert Harvey was there and I was a Madison Kilda fan, so he thought I was a pest. Um, <laughs> so he was playing then, at when he was at school? He was playing when he was at school. He started, he played, I think he played his first game when he was 16 years of age. So Really? Yeah. Back then, there was no there was no regulations. It was zoning. So if I was born in if I was born in 76, I would have been a St Kilda, supply, St. Kilda player because that was my zone. Oh, okay. So, and yeah, then when did works. that all change? Uh, well, they I think... They pretty much, there was the, obviously an age uh, area, but uh, I think in 87, 80, 87, 88, I think when West Coast Eagles came into the, made a national competition is when the draft yeah. started. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. They you, when, you, when you're at school and stuff, and obviously you're playing all different sports, you're playing basketball, you're obviously having a crack at cricket, you do everything. Why uh, did you pick AFL? Did AFL pick you? Well, yeah, the, sto- the story with that is that I love basketball. My da- dad went to uh, Chicago for a work in 87. True story. Oh, and I was prime 10. time. Did you go? Yeah. No, no. And I was basketball through and through. I played footy on Sundays. Basketball was Monday, Wednesday. I played state. I was a state basketball, all that sort of stuff. Dad came back from a trip. At Guernsey, I've still got to this day. Bulls 23. So I think you have to follow this guy. He's pretty, he's gonna be pretty big. <laughs> and you go back then, Jordan was drafted in 84, 85, but he then was. he suffered an angle, ankle injury. So that was his first real full year. And dad happened to be over there and there was billboards everywhere. So I fell in love with, obviously Michael Jordan fell in love with Chicago Bulls still to this day. And, um, and that was me. I just wanted to play basketball. I wanted to go to college. A friend of mine, Ended up going to college, lived around the corner. We played competitive basketball together. So that was really a dream for me. But what happened was when I was 15, so the, the footy side I played for, Frankston Rovers, we lost two games in six years. We won the, we won a record 72-game strike as a junior club. So we won under 11s, 12s, 13s, 14s, lost one game in 15s and still won the premiership and lost one game in under 16s and won the premiership. Right. So we had a really good side. That was... So we obviously attracted a lot of scouts uh, from AFL clubs. And one particular day when I was 15, um, we had, I not unbeknownst to me, played footy. Um, we got in the car and we would normally tra- play on Sunday, drive straight to basketball. 
Yeah. So I got the arm and dad, dad said to me, how did you play today? I said, oh, I didn't play that well, I don't think. And I didn't. I played played terrible. He said, well, it was good timing because there was, there was about seven or eight AFL scouts looking at you. And, and he, he hadn't and told you this, obviously. Well, but, no, he didn't tell me this. Uh, and he only found out probably during the game. And anyway, so we went and played basketball, shot 32 points. And after the end of the basketball game, he said, I know what sport you want to play. And that was the confirmation for me. That's where I wanted to go. So I had to stop basketball. Uh, so I ended up stopping basketball, I think, halfway through when I was 16. So halfway through that year. I was playing Bayside. So I was playing school, playing state basketball, all that sort of stuff. So why I went, I started pursuing uh, footy. And I think for me, it was because I could jump. I had a really big vertical leap. And, I mean, you could have those opportunities to do that in basketball, you know, dunking and stuff like that. But for me, I really got uh, an adrenaline rush, not only being in the ruck and jumping into guys, but also jumping on blokes' heads and taking big marks. Yeah. And you've got to have something, you know, with, with anything you play a sport, whether it's tennis, whether it's golf, whether it's whatever it is, there's got to be some element in that sport that makes you addicted to it. I mean, yeah, it makes you addicted to that sport. Yep. And you do it instinctively regardless of, you know, the, the ups and downs as a kid. And that was for me. I love taking big marks. I took, you know, massive marks as a kid and, and I can obviously continue that. And I love that passion. So that's where the driving force for me came and where I went. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because mine, mine was always picking up the scraps off you big blokes and, and picking <laughs> yeah. them up off the ground, kicking off either foot and just getting it down either kicking goals or straight to your full forward. But I always love and the reason I always went back to footy was the fact that I could get down on the ground and actually do a lot of this stuff and you get away with a lot of stuff. And I really like the hustle and the bustle and sort of jumping in their head first. And it's yeah. funny how what, what makes you come back every week, isn't it? <laughs> It is, yeah. It, it certainly was, and um, you know, Ryan Hallashine. It's uh, you know, Melbourne. It's a it's a religion. You, well, we used to go to games where we knew it was going to be muddy, mud throughout the whole ground, and would have ten towels in the car. You know, wouldn't have showers or anything. Those days, you just take your boots off, put them in the boot, jump in, your head to toe, <laughs> head to toe full of mud, sit in the front seat, and you know, away you go. So and you're away. Awesome. Away you go. You'd you'd stink like mud for for a few hours, but you would have a few showers and you're ready to go. So yeah. did you during this time you're sort of obviously you're 16 now. So what's that about year 10, year 11 in school? Are you yeah. sort of going through your head? Is there a plan B, or is it actually no? I'm going to be an AFL player, or am I going to go to uni, or how's that? How's that go through your head? Well, I think um I think I was getting enough indications from a, from several AFL clubs that there was a potential there. And so in 2016, uh, there was, I was an underage kid for back in the Southern Stingrays, but now called Denon Stingrays, part of the uh, under 18 competition in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I remember starting pre-season. So I'm 16. I've just played state under 15s. I didn't play that well, uh, but there was still a bit of interest there. And anyway, so I got invited to go to Denon Stingrays. And it was an under 18 competition. I'd never played senior footy before. I'd always played in my age bracket. And anyway, so we go to this training camp and um, the guy who's the coach comes up to my dad and says, look, I, we're going to give Whitey a go. We'll give him some experience this, this, this season, but uh, we're sort of earmarking for next year. We think yeah, next year will be his year. He'll be blah, blah, blah. Um, he might be a chance to get drafted. So we play a practice match and I'm best on ground. But coach comes over and goes, oh, I think we're 
going to have to pause it. Um, he's not playing next year in the squad this year. So I played a year, two years of uh, Danny Long Stingrays. So that really uh, gave me the confidence to know that I could participate not at that level, not only at that level, but I had a future in the sport. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I had to give up under 16s for for Frankston Rovers to play play at Danielong Stingrays, and then. Um, and that was first grade, obviously. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. So it was under 18s uh, competition, which is pretty much 95 percent of the kids get drafted every you come from that competition. Okay. And um, so I had. I had I had first year there, and um, they had a training camp which was at Punt Road, and I was ineligible to be drafted, but went got invited anyway. Uh, trained really really well, and um, you know, so there was a lot of a lot of whispers around that you know this Why is. Why were 90s. you ineligible? Because I was only sixteen. Oh, okay. There's an age limit, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. What's so, that? Seventeen or? Seventeen. Yeah. So uh, so I was eligible next year. Which turned out to be 1994. So 93, I played one year with this. Uh, that was my first year with the Stingrays. I had a training camp at Punt Road. All the scouts are there, and yeah, you know, I trained really, really well. And there's a lot of lot of hype around that and stuff like that. So starting the 94 season, um, they've gone through all the preseason. I got glands of fever, so I couldn't play for the first half of the year. So that was a bit of eye opener for me because. Am I giving an opportunity to not participate and get drafted in the AFL? And, you know, how am I going to come back from, from this illness and stuff like that? And I think when you look at it right now, what we're going through, uh, a lot of kids will be thinking that way. Yeah, um, I agree. I you know, is it going to be a draft? Is there going to be a draft this year? You know, have I, you know, because I'm not playing footy, have I given up an opportunity? I guess the message I want to give to kids is that, you know, obviously don't give up, but a lot of the scouts, already know what they want. They already know if they've got you on the pipeline. Whether you play one game this year, whether you play 16, you play every round. The scouts know what they want. And the thing with AFL clubs is that not only are they doing, you know, psychology tests now and, you know, talking to friends, understanding what you do at school. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that factors around not only performance. Now, I was a very inconsistent player as a kid. Very inconsistent. I played really good, really bad. Really good, really bad. And but they knew that if I could get into the into their system, they would be able to mould me in the play that they want. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so when people say to me, you know, ninety four, you're number one draft pick. Yeah, I was a number one draft pick, but I was a number one draft pick for Freo. What they wanted, yeah, not exactly. what every other club wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, so that was a bit of a a bit of a shock to the system, and then um. Pardon the punt, but uh, I had to be I had to be on my back for for quite some period of time, and then finally got my opportunity to play and played out the rest of the year and played quite right. well. And it went alright, went alright. Started on the wing to start with, just to get me into the game and stuff like that. And then uh, they threw me straight in the rock, and away I went. And uh, yeah, finished up the season really strongly. And yeah, and then it's uh, as soon as that last game came about, there's yeah letters, phone calls. Um, you know, even phoning the friends, even phoning my teachers. It was coming oh, from really? all different angles. Yeah. But um Freo was the first Freo was the inaugural year was ninety five. So they um they had first draft pick like they've done with the Suns, like they've done with GWS and bringing their clubs into the into the AFL and yeah, they knocked on my door eight weeks before the draft and said, Look, we've made a decision who we want to draft number one and we wouldn't be sitting here if we didn't think 
at your number one draft pick. So how's that make that you feel? Yeah. That, you're sitting at home, you're going to knock on the door, and uh, and you're sitting there obviously with the with your parents. And yeah, you got, my parents. Yeah, you got this scout yeah, a, or the coach or who comes over. So as a scout, they hadn't. I don't think they had nominated a coach. They definitely nominated. So this is where the story gets, you know, very, very, very cool. They had nominated a coach. I don't think. I think they would. So Jared Neesham ended up being the coach. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he was formally notified or given. I, I don't know the the circumstances. Like, but Neil Danaher was given an assistant coach. Okay. So he was the one that was sitting in the meeting with Cameron Swab. That's uh, pretty cool. So he was, uh, I think Cameron was from Richmond. He's, his family had very rich history in the Richmond Football Club. So I think he was a scout Richmond, but it was him and Neil definitely sitting in my living room. So it was a pretty proud moment. Um, and it was quite, you know, you, you look back at that now and three years down the track, um, Neil Danaher was the coach of Melbourne, and Cameron Swab was the was the recruiting officer for Melbourne. So there it's we go. And that's how that all happened. That's how it all happened. So little so did I know. That... You get, yeah, so how old are you at this stage? You're 94. 17. 17. So you're 17 years old. There's no real plan B because you're going to play footy, and then you uh, you've got these two legends sitting in your lounge room with your old man and and your mum, and and how's the conversation go like? We want you to come play with us. He's a he's a enormous check, uh, all that sort of stuff. Or, or he's a he's a hat. What do you get? <laughs> uh, I don't know actually. Well, I don't think the uniform would come out for free by then. <laughs> <laughs> Design, love it. They didn't even, and they didn't even have a song. Um, so that wasn't launched until you know the start of the two thousand uh, uh, ninety five season. So yeah, yeah. Look, from what I recall, I sort of know where we're sort of sitting, but. Uh, went along the lines of, you know, we've got no more draft pick and you've got a, you know, and that was the first ever year, 94, I think it was the first ever year where they had the, the combine draft camp. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, which is obviously quite famous these days and it's, you know, born from, you know, what happens in the NFL and all that sort of stuff. So they basically said, look, you know, there's going to be a lot of coaches and a lot of scouts at that draft camp, which I think was really close, which, comparison to where it was yeah, yeah. and uh, they said look don't be don't be uh, you know don't be upset when um, you don't have one coming near you or asking you any questions because we're going to select you as number one but you need to keep this prop you need to keep it under wraps yeah. and you need to be quiet so so that's how it unfolded and yeah it turned out I went to the draft camp I roomed with Jason Akamanis <laughs> that was Akers back then ending. Yeah, it was quite entertaining there, whereas with Akers. Um, <laughs> but it was – the reason why I was with him is because he'd already been picked up by in, in the, uh, by Brisbane Lions. Yeah. So him and I both roomed together. Um, I remember we did the beat test and we finished the beat test. And that, and then they had a period of time where the scouts and AFL coaches could speak to players and so on and so forth. And Akers and I went to our room and that was it. No one come and spoke to us. We just hang out together. So that was the draft camp. So yeah, and then it was drafted, and pretty much as soon as you drafted, you're uh, you shipped off, and away you go wherever you want to go. And so you you're now going to Fremantle. You're, you're 17 years old. You got to move over there on your own, or did the family go, or how that all work? Yeah. No, no, we had cousins over there. So they, um, as soon as they heard that I was drafted, they were. You know, they were pretty much lining up to say which one would where I'd stay at their house. So oh, I ended up staying at some cousin's house for three years. 
So it was great. Mum and dad obviously came over, my brothers, and you know I had the opportunity to come back when I when I would play in Melbourne. I would stay for a couple of days extra and then go back, and so it worked out really well. You know, Fremantle was a great spot, great club. Uh, it was you know it was a really good, I guess, stepping stone into the real crunch of my career and. And I suffered a few injuries through that. But like I said, I never played senior footy. So going over there and my affiliated club was East Perth and we had a really successful time during that period of time, three years. And uh, a lot of a lot of the players that were there were from, from uh, Victoria. So, you know, there's a really different style. It's quite a, it's, it's different styles across the States. You know, when I, I played one year up in Queensland uh, after I finished my footy career and it was a different style of play. I play in Perth, different style of play. We play in Melbourne, it's a different style of play. And it all comes down to the ground conditions and the weather. So yeah. when I was playing in Perth, um, even though the fast tracks, there's the sand-based grass and stuff like that, I was playing with guys that were just in and out. They were just hard heads. And that's what, you know, that is that is uh, footy in Victoria. It's just in and under because the weather, you're playing in mud, you know, you're playing in really cold conditions and you just got to go hard. That's it. You just got to go hard at the footy. So I really enjoyed my time playing with East Perth. Um, and then I just, yeah, really um, loved the experience of obviously Fremantle. But I knew so that was. Did you play more... in the first ever game for Freo? No. No. I ended up playing. My first game was, I think it was round five, round six. We played against Fitzroy at yep. Witten Oval. Um, so I, I joined the one uh, first kick, first goal club. So it was pretty cool. Oh, did you? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we uh, we played in Switch. I started full forward, and um, I had a lot of friends, family, all that sort of stuff come to the game because it was in Melbourne, and uh, they went to one end of the ground, not knowing what the toss of the coin was. And lucky for them, it was the uh, it was uh, it was the right end of where we were kicking. And I don't know what time it was throughout the first quarter, but the ball came down and made a tackle, holding the ball, and. Everyone was, it was so, it was pretty cool. The whole, like all my friends and family were standing behind the goals. And I just said to myself, it's just like kicking to them and straight up, kick straight through. So it was good fun. Oh, lovely. It's not one of the ones you want to miss really, is it? No, no, not at all. Especially when they're all sitting right on the goal square, right there you can see them. So if it's going to go that way or that way, then. That's interesting you know, actually. So when you're um, playing on these big fields with the MCG, all these big places you've played around the around Australia, can you pick people in the crowd? Can you hear people in the crowd? Like, is there specifics or is it all just a blur? No, so the, the crowd is a buzz. So it's just a constant buzz noise. But yeah. you can, I can hear players on the ground. So, oh, really? Yeah, so everyone, so people ask me about the 2000 grand final we played against Essendon. I mean, there's 98,000 people there. I could hear Anthony Ingerson at full back playing on Matthew Lloyd and I was sitting in the centre. People go, how the hell do you hear that? And he's like, it's clear as day. Because you're so in tune and so in the zone. You block out you the other the noise. A, yeah, you block out the other noise. But you, you know it's there, but you're so focused. The adrenaline's, it's, it's really hard to explain, but the adrenaline's going so much that, you know, I've, you know, I've copped some big injuries in my time, particularly, you know, 2005 when got kicked in the face and there was a, you know, it was a really traumatic sort of thing for everyone to look at. But for me, I was like, what the hell was that? And because the adrenaline was going so much because it was in a final, yeah. I didn't feel the pain until a couple of hours later. 
So that was that's the way I explain it with footy is that it's a real buzz, but you can hear everyone on the ground. So, yeah. Uh, it's interesting, um, isn't it? Because um, obviously 98,000 people is a lot of people in the ground. It is. It is. So my dog barking at the moment. It's obviously been someone in the park. All <laughs> um, no, good. Um, yeah, it is. It is. And yeah, it's uh, it's quite it's quite it's quite interesting that that you know. And I always so coming with Freo, Freo had, had a bit of bowling, but it wasn't as big as what it was when I ended up going to Melbourne. And what made you go really to Melbourne? How did that happen? Well. What I mentioned before, Cameron Swab becoming the recruiting officer yeah. and Neil Dunno becoming the coach was, was obviously a pivotal uh, moment. I just thought that I just needed an opportunity myself. Uh, you know, Freo a bit relaxed and thought that I was actually going to stay there. And it wasn't to do with, you know, living away from home or homesickness. It was nothing to do with that. So your the contract was up at Yeah, contract was up. Yeah. Um, in 97, so I signed a three-year deal. So the end of 97, it was up and, um, you know, at the start of the year, I said to him, look, I'm happy where I am and blah, blah, blah. And actually, in the, like, I think it was the second or third round, I lacerated my spleen playing for Freya. I was, I was actually out for 12 weeks. So that really gave me an opportunity not only to focus on my recovery, but also to actually see and feel where Freya was. And I mm-hmm. felt there was no real urgency to sign me. There was no real urgency to... Uh, give me a direction for my future. Whereas I had all these other clubs from Melbourne saying, this is what we want to do. This is what we see you in the picture. This is our forecast for 10 years. And they were really laying it out in the line for me. Um, so, yeah, so they, I guess Freo become a little bit complacent, but there were six Ruckman at the club at Freo, whereas really? I had the opportunity to go to, uh, so it came down to three. It was Richmond, Collingwood and Melbourne. And I think the thing with Melbourne was that Jim Steins was, uh, was, a, was, a, was a real role model mine growing up, very versatile, Ruckman, uh, all that sort of stuff. You know, Gary Lyon uh, was just ringing me constantly every day. And then the, obviously the final piece to the puzzle was Neil Danaher was appointed coach and I uh, had a really good relationship with Cameron Swab through the Fremantle days and also Neil. So yeah. it really just gelled, really just came to, came to... And it didn't didn't matter that they only won four games that year. So they won four games in 97. Uh Neil Dunno came in. We made the prelim in 98. So, really wow. massive turnaround. And, um, yeah, so it was uh, become, you know, it just it just felt right. And I guess in life, I've always gone on gut feelings. Yep. Always gone on my gut instincts. And, you know, I really, I really just follow that. And even when I do, you know, stuff with I'm doing with you and stuff that I've, I've done in the past. I really just go on my gut feeling um, and listen to that and go on my intuitions a lot. And you always just trust your gut, well. not your head. That's the key to business. It is. And I really just got a really warm feeling about it and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and you know, my pop, who I really adored when I was a kid, he was a mad Melbourne supporter. And um, it Did was he just... Did see you play for Melbourne? No, he didn't, unfortunately. Uh, so he passed away my first year for... So, oh, okay. and you know, there was just little things that came to to the forefront. You know, like before he passed away, he knitted. He used to knit with Nan a lot, and he knitted like a Melbourne scarf. And my mum brought that out. And, you know, when it was the crunch to to actually making a decision, I I knew he was a Melbourne supporter, but didn't realise how passionate he was. Yeah, yeah. And when she brought that out, it just sort of hit home that yeah, this is everything's just fallen into place. Oh, fair call. So, yeah. Yeah. so then you sign with them. What's that for an initial three years? 
Yeah, I signed every, every contract. Every yeah, I signed three years. Uh, so three years in Melbourne, um, and then it was just three years every every year after that. So, so in three um, years at the end of the the third year is obviously now we're getting to two thousand, which was a pretty good year for you guys. Yep. Yeah, how, yeah, how, yeah. How so, did that season uh, go? You did you get injured that year, or because you're pretty good on the injury front, aren't you? Yeah, I was. I ended up. I only missed five games in eleven years for for, uh, for Melbourne. So oh, really, um, I was pretty, pretty, pretty clean, which is which is very good. Um, you know, looked after myself, and I was very, very professional about things on and off the field. Had my own personal trainer. Um, probably why I don't do much exercise these days because I just really worked extremely hard. We yeah. always get one day off a week, but I had my own personal trainer. I even had at some point um, Neil, you know, ringing me saying, "Hey, look, you know, you look a bit flat. You've got to." I just loved training. I loved all that. Loved all the weights. I always trained preseason. I always felt that that was the base and the foundation for your success. Uh, hated missing, you know, training sessions, and you know, I was always had to be held back. But that was just me. That was my mentality. I, I just loved that sort of that sort of side of things, and and that really gave me the step and started playing, being so. Um, durable over those times, you know. I was always, always on the field, always starting, and um, you know that was that was my passion. And you really have to, you know, you've got to have a passion for that. But you've also, if you, if that's part of the integrity of what you've got to do, whether it's in business or whatever, you've got to train that as well. No, definitely. So, so you've won a few grand finals in your day since you're a junior and all that sort of stuff. I actually uh, proudly captained the under 15s Clarnival uh, Bombers to a premiership. Um, What's the name? What's it called? Kalani. Kalani Vale Bombers. KV Bombers. No, I think they're now called my, the Central my, Coast my, Bombers. Oh, it's just my son's name's Kalani, so that's very cool. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's meant yeah. to be, mate. And, uh, yeah, so <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember the, the what's, what's the sort of best grand final you've ever sort of uh, partaken and won? Well, so I won five as a junior. I didn't win any as a senior. So, uh now, who would have thought that after my fifth grand final in a row as a one as a junior that I would never win one again? And so I played in the grand final uh, East Perth versus Claremont, 90 Subiaco Oval. We had, we had a great year. We had an outstanding year. We'd beaten everyone. We're on top of the ladder. We made the grand final really easy, but West Coast didn't make the grand – West Coast didn't make the finals or something like that, and a few of their players become oh, they eligible come to back play down. in the grand yeah, final. Yeah. So they had Chris Lewis come back. We had uh, we had all these other former players come back, and they, yeah, I'll never forget. The ball was going up into the goal square. A mate, a, mate, a teammate of mine was rising in the park, taking this, stepping on this bloke's head, about to take a chest mark in the goal square. That's a 31 minute mark. Comes off his head, drops it. Oh, no. goes. So yeah, Falcon, and we lost by three points. So that was that. <laughs> Um, and then grand final. Actually, '98 was probably our best year to win the grand final. Now, back then they had the old style setup with the with the top eight. Yep. So we finished. I think we finished third, uh, third or might have been second. I can't remember. But uh, we ended up playing Adelaide. Now Adelaide ended up winning the grand final that year um, in '98. But we played. Uh, we played them in the first final at the MCG, beat them by 62 points. Mm-hmm. So then the next game we played St Kilda, won by 52 points. And then the way the, the way that draw worked is we ended up playing North Melbourne and finished on top. So oh, we played okay. North Melbourne in the prelim. And because Adelaide travelled, they ended up making the grand final and they ended up beating North Melbourne. So it became, yeah, we, we were on fire that year. 98, we were a 
it would just... Is that the best year um, you played with Melbourne, do you think? Yeah, I think so. And 2000, of course, yeah. So we ended up mm. playing finals. We played the grand final in 2000, lost to Essendon. Finals in 2002, and then finals in 04, 05, and 06. 2000, they were so, then, weren't they? Wasn't that the pep-type saga around that time? <laughs> Was that no, 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 just recently. That's just <laughs> happened just recently. I'd like to, uh, it'd be nice to claim that, but yeah, that was 20 uh, don't years you ago. It's funny, mate. My local club where I played as a kid, um, Jared McVeigh and Mark McVeigh, um, obviously two, oh, yeah, two great, cool. great yeah. AFL players. I was I was Jared's first <laughs> ever were. coach in his first premiership, and I always claimed oh, that's right. why we claimed to fame. I think he was eight playing under 13s. But uh, no, oh, yeah, that, that's from there. Their old man, uh, Knackers, um, Tony McVeigh was the hardest individual I've ever ever met in any sport or anything. Yeah, I heard he, that. I heard he's, that. Um, yeah. He's one. Of, he's one. Of, he played. Uh, uh, was it S A N F L? Snaffle, whatever it is, in Stanford. South Australia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he was he was an amazing footballer, and that's obviously where the boys get it from. But uh, yeah, that that's a small little town where we come from, and uh, produces some pretty good footballers like that. Yeah, well, we produced from French and Rovers. We had Dermot Burden. We Not had. Bad. Uh, the... He goes all right. <laughs> you guys are all right. Uh, we had Darren Hume, who played in my junior footy club. He ended up playing for Carlton. I think 150 out to come. And we had the Loney Twins. So one of them played for Collingwood. I think the other one played for Port, I think. So something like that. Wow. So, yeah. So, you do, um, obviously, Dermy is known for when he got smashed um, in the grand final back in the in the late 80s, early 90s, I think it was. And yeah. um, then also because he was king of the jungle. So it's quite funny how these things go full circle. Have you, uh, have you thought about sort of doing any reality TV or anything yet? No, yeah. no, not at all. I'm not a, re- not a reality TV guy. I'm no, a, that, that's not in the, I, uh, in the career path? No, no. I watch, uh, I watch, I watch golf and I watch my basketball. <laughs> that's me. I'm going to remind you this in a few years when you're actually on, uh, <laughs> on The Bachelor or something no. like that. <laughs> you won't see me. You won't see me on any. Re- the only reality you'll see with me is on social media if I'm posting photos, and that's oh, it. that's fair call, mate. Fair call. Yeah. So you got to play against some pretty good footballers in your time. Who would you say is the uh, the, the hardest, as in physically the hardest person you've sort of been hit by or been hit? Um. Yeah. Good question. Um, can you still hear that's me? That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. The hardest player that I've, I've played against, um, probably like physically yeah. hardest, like the one that's hit you the hardest. Oh, hit me the hardest. Other than oh, the boot like, to the head in the 2005 grand final. Yeah. Besides the leg, besides the shin. Um, yeah, look, I think, um, the guys that really, I know I look back and, and just probably Michael Voss. Um, Oh really? Bossy. Yeah. Just, just the turn speed, just the way that they could actually, uh, get on their feet and just go straight through, straight really, really hard in a, in a quick space of time. Yeah, yeah. I was in a lot of stoppages, so centre bounce, uh, ball ups, uh, boundary throw ins. So I was always there. I was always in the crust of it and stuff like that. So yeah, I think um, yeah, just just the physicality of him coming through. How hard? What about was. what about Ruckman then? Who's the best Ruckman you played against? Probably Dean Cox. Um, you know I. I, I really expo- exploited a lot of the dinosaurs, as they used to call. So, you know, the Damien Monkhurst and the Sean Wrens and the Scotty Wines, where they would drop behind the play and I would just venture through the midfield. They would have to come up and, you know, play on me, but I was too quick and 
blah, blah, blah. But then as soon as Dane Cox come on the scene, he's six foot seven, he could jump, he could run. I was like, oh, my God, you know, why have you, <laughs> why have you put someone in? And then he's got, you know, he's got Kerr, he's got Judd, he's got cousins at his feet. It was just a, a nightmare. So, yeah, I think he was, a, he was certainly um, very, very difficult. Had a really good battle with Luke Darcy. Uh, a lot of years um, playing against Luke Darcy. Matthew Allen used to play for Essendon and, and Carlton. He was a very challenging ruckman. So Peter Everett, another mobile ruckman, was very challenging as well. But I, I really liked playing against the taller guys because I could jump. They hated me jumping into them. So that was really um, uh, an advantage I had and probably why I had injuries because I used to – I mean, it, it stemmed from when I was a kid. You know, we played – when I was playing Franks and Rovers, we played some really tough junior, junior clubs. Um, and they knew they they knew that you know um, they could you know because we would always win the thugs pretty much. So yeah. the way I'd always put my opponent out of out of out of action was in the centre bounce. And yeah, there's a few kids I knocked out during my time. Put it that way. <laughs> what about the best ever footballer? Like you know, there's the the ablet, those sort of people. Who's who's the best footballer yeah. you've you've played against, and who's the best footballer you've ever seen? Um, yeah, look, uh, probably the best I've ever seen is you know, really can't separate both Gary Ablett Senior and Gary Ablett Junior. Uh, you know, they were really just great. Like I remember going to watch Gaz Senior when I was a kid. You know, you go to the MCG and you kick four Love watching Plugger. Just, just you know, I was a mad just thing. Just a casual 14. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, back in those days, you know, we'd sit at Moorabbin and Lockett's kicked 14. Dunstall's at Waverley's kicked 12. And yeah. Abbott's down at Kennedy Park, he's kicked 14. And Salmon's at the MCG and he's kicked 10. You know, crazy. Yeah. Those days. Yeah, the, you know, the early 90s. It was just late 80s. It was just crazy. That, is that because uh, that was so good or is that because it was different football? Well, I think it was a bit more free flowing those days. It wasn't, you know, um, defenders zoning off and all that sort of stuff. And it was a really different style of play back those days. But definitely, yeah, quality players. There's no question. They used the body really well. Um, and they were just planting themselves in full forward. And would they, they be able know, to do the same days, today? Probably, probably not because the game has changed so much, whereas the forwards yeah. have to run. You know, the forwards have to run and defend. You know, you know what... Teams try and do is crunch up the middle, grab a turnover, and they try and get the turnover in the middle of the ground. Mm-hmm. Whereas, could you see a chasing down someone these days? No, not no. at all. No chance. Just stay on the, yeah. You just stay on the goal screen and go, you, you run. I'll just keep <laughs> 10 on him. Fair, uh, fair, cool. And probably the, be- probably the best I saw, you know, on the ground, um, Juddy. Juddy in 04 was just, oh, yeah, not when the Brownlow was unbelievable. Yeah. I think Kerry as well. Kerry was, yeah, he was just just a presence. Just you see Kerry coming out from centre forward, just insane. Pretty, pretty you know, awesome. it's just 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 presence. Yeah. It must be hard not to uh, actually so in the middle of that sit back and watch. <laughs> it's like you got the best. Yeah, thing now, so yeah. I think there was one game where you know we always played Nita at centre. We always played Nita at full forward, and Kerry was a foul. We had to send Nita back to play on him, and he just I think he ended up kicking eight against us. But just you know, it's just just quick, uh, you know, six foot four, quick, great overhead, uh, you know, you know, and, that, and that's what really impressed me with, with uh, the likes of like you know Gary Abbott Senior, 
you know, as soon as the ball hit the ground, he was kicking goals. The yeah. ball's in the air, he's taking a hang on him. You know, he's only six foot three, six foot yeah. two. And that was the most incredible part that this guy kicked bags after bags after bags each week. And this day, this day and age, you play and win. You know, it's just incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? So, mate, as you know, I'm a massive Swannies fan and uh, obviously um, the the biggest news of, of probably this decade is their buddy signing a, a $10 million deal or whatever it was that come out at the time. Um, great footballer. You, uh, I remember you were telling me once you, uh, you, I think you played against him your last years here, his early years or something like that. Yeah. What, what was he like back then as a kid? Yeah, he was great. We actually had a... We actually, I think it, when was he drafted? Was it 03 or 02? Yeah, 03, yeah, I think. 03, 02, 03. Uh, we had a draft. We had a training camp. So before the draft, you could actually have players come and train with you. Okay. Through your pre-season. And uh, he came and trained with us for, for a while. He was a skinny, skinny kid and um, from WA. And, yeah, he just had – you just could see he just had the, the, the qualities to being a superstar and – yeah, look, I played against him majority, obviously, at Hawthorne and before he then moved over. And, um, yeah, he was just – that was just, you know, him, Roughhead, um, you know, I finished in 08, so that was when they won the flag in 08 against Geelong. But, yeah, he was just super quick. And the, the, the impressive part with Buddy is that, you know, got, here you got someone who's six foot six, so he's talking to me, just run, just quick, you know. Yeah. And the ball gets – and the same thing, the ball goes on the ground, keeps his feet, and – can pick it up, you know. You, you, you've got to, if you're a tall fella, you've got to be agile, you've got to be mobile, you've got to be good above your head, but you've got to be good below your knees. You can't be lumbering, you can't be falling over, you know, you, you just, it's such a quick game these days, you've just got to be so clean below your knees. And he was like that, he was just a freak. And you know, I've just shown that throughout his whole career. Yeah, exactly. He's still hopefully got a, a little while to go with uh, with the Swannies, but. Um... But yeah. look at now, like, obviously there's a lot more money in the game now. Oh, sorry, I'll rephrase this. A lot more money given to the players now in the game than uh, than there was yeah. back in your day. Um, do you sort of sometimes look back and kick yourself and go, geez, imagine if that had been five, six years earlier, what, uh, what <laughs> you could have earned? No, no, no. And, you know, there's, there's always, it always, it always balances the show. I remember I played, played golf with, um, Rex Hunt, I think it was 98 or 2000, probably 2000, I think, I played at the Capitol. A friend of mine runs the, runs the Capitol golf course there for the Crown Casino, and I, I end up having a game with Rex Hunt. Back then, famous caller for 3RW, and went up playing a game. And, and he was the same. He was exactly the same. He said, you know, players get a lot. He got asked the question in our group, you know, players getting so much money these days, and, you know, would you like to be where you are? He said, no, no, because back in my day, I was able to own my own. I was able to do this. I had the freedom of that, even though that was yeah. sort of part-time back then. So it all works out in relativity, you know, with all that sort of stuff. So, no, and you know what? I always say this. If I did it for the money, I would have lasted a year, two years. It was yeah, never, cool. that was never my, you know, I really wanted to get the most out of my, I, I really, look, when you start, you want to get a game. And when you submit yourself from the game, you really want to, you know, um, some team, you know, you sort of go through that phase, I reckon. Um, I mean, I think the average lifespan for AFL these days is like three years. Well, over the over the whole journey, it's been three yeah. years. So very fortunate to play 14 years. And, and um, So, yeah, when you start out, you want to get a game. Then you're getting a game. You want to have 
you know, individual and team success. And then near the end of your career, you want to win a flag. You want to, you know, you want to have that team, you know, that you can look back on. And um, and that's where it all lies. And the only things I miss are singing the song and yep. dumping on blokes' heads. That's the only thing I miss for the AFL. But, you know, I gave it all. I, gave, I made most turn unturned. Didn't take anything for granted. Really worked extremely hard to get, you know, to achieve what I wanted to achieve. And, but did you yeah, know of course, you know, was going to be your last season? Uh, no, but as the season progressed, I did, yeah. Okay. I think I always had the mentality, back to the Michael Jordan sort of thing, um, the moment I stopped enjoying it is the moment I walk away and I just stopped, I stopped enjoying. I think the, the, thing, the thing for me is when I started, uh, well, stopped using my personal trainer. Yeah. And that was a real indicator for me that I was just like, no, nah, I'm not in this anymore. There's more to, more to life. Often, ironically, I started having dreams a lot about sitting in front of a computer uh, and doing that sort of thing. And I, you know, I just had a lot of dreams about being in front of a computer. And um, you know, I really wanted to try and pursue my next chapter in my life. And did you know what that was going to be in 08? Or are you sitting there thinking, okay, let's get through the footy year, then let's uh, let's decide what's next? Did you think about commentating, coaching? What what was in your mind? No, I never wanted to coach. I um, I just. I wanted to live on the Gold Coast. I started holidaying here in 2001 and really fell in love with the place. I love my golf. I love the I love the heat. I love the hot weather. Mm-hmm. So really, for me, it was um, just just really separating myself from the limelight, separating myself from the day to day football routine, and uh, spending time with my family, just reassessing what I wanted to do. But uh, I really like the marketing side of things. I really loved helping people out. And there was a lot of contracts I was involved, particularly later in my career. I was involved with a lot of big contract deals for the Melbourne Footy Club. Um, and I really enjoyed that. You know, whether it was a player, whether it was, um, sorry, whether it was player sponsor, whether it was a sponsorship on the shorts, whether it was a sponsorship in the club, coaches box and stuff like that. I was really um, involved in that sort of stuff and started learning a lot about how sponsorship worked, um, how that sort of happen and I really was really intrigued with that. Um, if I wanted to be a coach, I would have stayed in Melbourne. Yeah. More opportunities. Um, but I was never a, a guy who watched the footy show, never watched went and watched other games. I really just try to get, you know, my personal attributes of the footy game. Uh, trying to get better as a footy player week in, week out and um, try and have team success. So that that was my main driving force. So you then uh, you move up to the Gold Coast. Uh, which is where you are, still are now. And what, what was your first sort of business venture you went into? Uh, so I wanted to learn about I wanted to learn about business. I wanted to learn about that sort of stuff. So uh, in February 2009, I applied for a uh, um, account manager at Hot Tomato, the radio station here. So, um, so yeah, so I became a selling uh, air airspace. That was oh, my wow. job. Yeah. So, but the same week I started that, and it was also. It was a combination of doing some radio stuff as well. So I did a sports. um, But uh, the same week I started there, I started Twitter. So that's where really opened up um, my passion with the social media. So that was back in 09. 09 I started February. Okay. So a long time ago. So I started started learning about Twitter. I started learning about Facebook. Um, We'd just come off the back of the Obama campaign in the end of 08 and started like self-taught, so learning a lot about how the communication between the customer and the business was operating. And I, I, it wasn't happening with radio. 
Radio yeah. is more of a, a medium that hits you when you least expect it, whereas mm. social media is something where people engage because they're on their phone. Yeah. So during that year, I started, um, I was doing a lot of training with, you know, with other managers. And I remember, remember Crane Cove? I think it's still on today, yeah, but yeah. uh, we had a meeting with Crane Cove and I'm sitting in the, in the meeting and uh, I simply asked the lady, I said, do you let your staff go on social media? And she said, no, no, we don't. Uh, strict, no social media policy. Don't let them on. So that night I wrote a 62-page thesis on <laughs> the amount of um, Twitter messages and YouTube videos and comments that have been uploaded about Korean Cove and I presented to her the next day. And she was blown away by the presence and the actual you know, the reach that that particular island was getting. You know, it yeah. wasn't not only across Australia, uh, sorry, across Queensland, but all of Australia and some of it overseas. So that really started my passion. But what really drove my interest was um, I wrote a tweet about the Melbourne Footy Club and I said that they're tanking and I know that they are and they're trying to lose games so they can get draft concessions. As soon as How'd I wrote that, go that down? Tweet, what's that? How'd that go down? Yeah, so this is where this is where it really started. So I had every you can imagine. I've just come out of footy. <laughs> um, I had every it got into a blog. The blog ended up in the papers, every paper in Australia. I had every journal ringing me saying, "Hey, did you write this? And what is Twitter?" And I'm thinking to myself, "Well, I've created a bit of a storm here. I know what's happening, and I yeah. soon found out that they were they were guilty of tanking. How powerful was this?" But how does no, no journal know about Twitter? And yeah. then, and then you know, they're on Sunrise and Justin Bieber's there. There's tens of thousands of people at the front of Sunrise. And I remember Koshi going, you know, what's Twitter? And he'd been trending for six months. <laughs> well, how, how, are these, how are these companies not knowing about this, the power of social media? It's crazy. So, yeah, so started 2010. Um, I started White Echo. So I still run that to this day really passionate about the social media and, and particularly right now, like, like you can see um, just, it's just, it's just crazy how, how much has exploded. But well, it's back people then, together though in these times, it's really interesting because obviously we're all isolated now at the moment due to COVID-19, but we're actually all sort of together as well. It's, it's really interesting the way that that's been done and the fact that people can utilize social media to actually be with people i got a mate's 50th birthday this weekend and we're actually having a party uh, utilising Zoom and other technology yeah, yeah, with everyone yeah. from around the country. And uh, it's, it's really, really amazing how far apart we physically are but how close we are together. That's right. And it's, you know, I think the landscape for businesses will never be the same. I no, think I agree 100%. You're going to really understand that, hey, I can just do this from home or I can do this from a cafe or I can do this from another work environment. And I have to have the overheads of having a massive three-storey, um, you know, building, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think it's really simplifying things. But I've always been intrigued with social media. I've really just been, um, you know, I'm self-taught, self-taught with equity and, um, you know, really enjoyed the passion and just the ideas you get. Like I spend a lot of time on social media every day and a lot of it's to do with research, whether yep. this can relate to my client or whether it can't and, you know, finding ways to engage an audience and that's where I really get get kick out of it um, and yeah the presence right now is just it's just enormous I mean I was looking at stats the other day which are live stats you can see and there's 4.5 billion people that in the world that have an internet connection there's 2.4 billion on average that are now on Facebook 
each day. Wow, that's amazing. It's disturbing. It's like 56% of the world population that have internet are actually actively on Facebook. Yeah. It's crazy. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah. It'd be remiss of me if we didn't talk about this, and that is the fact that you uh, you sort of hit a big hurdle. You uh, you had a stroke, and uh, now thank Christ you you you're better. But can you tell can you tell us that story? Can you tell us what happened there? Yeah, well, so um, well, I guess that I guess that I didn't know that I was born with a hole in my heart. So everyone's born with a hole in their heart, but within the first three to six months, it's a flap. It's called a flap. It, it actually seals over. Um, so four percent of the world population have a hole in the heart. I don't know. So, hang on a sec. So you played professional footy for fourteen years, and you've seen heart. pretty much every doctor, all these sports scientists, all this stuff. And no one ever knew. No, no one knew. Wow. Yeah. So uh, you know, uh, I'm obviously the moment that it happened was uh, August two thousand seventeen was certainly a turning point in my my um my mindset on everything yeah. you know how important you know what happened tell me the story what happened so what so I, I often pick up the kids so i pick up the kids from school um drive home and i remember the time during during the during the day i felt okay but then when i went and pick up the kids i felt really angry felt really sad felt really down I'm very snappy at the kids all that sort of stuff and um Anyway, it was unlike me. I'm a very optimistic person, very down to earth, as you know, and very, very calm sort of a guy. Uh, but I was really angry at the kids, and I knew I had to get them ready for, for footy training. And I was just yelling at the kids, yelling, yelling, yelling nonstop. Anyway, so I hop into the lounge, uh, into the laundry, and I leaned to, I looked to my left to pick up some stuff, and it felt like someone was physically pushing me. And I remember yelling out, "Stop pushing me! Stop pushing me!" I turned around, and my right arm was stuck. So it could not, I could not feel it. I could not move it, uh, and I just felt like I was just paralyzed. It was certainly just paralyzed, and I was just stuck. And so I grabbed my other hand, grabbed, grabbed my right hand, still couldn't feel it. I was pressing as hard as I could, couldn't feel it. And I, during the, you know, a few years prior, I'd suffered a lot of fainting spells, and that was to do with the hole in the heart. So I'd get up from a horizontal position up to a vertical. But being such a tall guy, I would faint because what was happening when you when you when you change from horizontal to vertical, the oxygen oxygen is trying to flow to your brain to level your whole body. Because the oxygen was flowing out of my heart, the hole in my heart that I didn't know, the oxygen wouldn't get to my brain, I'd just collapse. So I broke my nose, I uh, had a lot of serious injuries and a lot of falls where I just collapsed. So I thought this was gonna happen again. So I laid on my back, my arm was straight out, but this was different. This wasn't waking up in the morning of been sleeping, get up vertically and then fall over when it normally would happen. This was during the day and I felt really bad. I felt really sad. Anyway, so I'm there. The next one neighbours come over. The kids are running my, my, my wife at the time um, and then she'd walked up and then my hand started to come too and it was like I'd taken a drug. It was unbelievable. It was the most amazing feeling I ever had in life. Um, but obviously I knew that was something serious. So so I had the scan a week later, Doc rang me. You never want to get that phone call. <laughs> the Doc leaves a message on their phone, call me ASAP. Oh, Jesus. 
So I'm thinking, you know, brain, you think the thing the worst, um, you know, brain tumor, all that sort of stuff. He said, um, yeah, we think that you've possibly had a stroke. So I went and had a, um, a scan. Um, sure enough, saw the neurologist. Yep, you've, you've had a stroke. Then it was just, then it was just trying to find out how I've had the stroke. I'm 40 at the time, I think. How have I had the stroke? Where, where's this come from? Blah, blah, blah. So I did a 24-hour test on my heart, all clear. Um, I did all these different scans of my heart, all clear. Um, and then sat down with the cardiologist and he said, look, we do, we've got one more procedure we do. Uh, we blow, pretty much put a tube down your mouth. We blow air into your heart. It's like a, a flat tire that you put into water. If it blows bubbles, you've got a hole in your heart. But look, uh, I'm not very optimistic about that because 4% of the world population have a hole in the heart. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sticks the tube in and goes, oh, my God, you're in the 4%. Wow. That was it. So that was no. So I found that out in November uh, 2017. Um, he wanted to get me straight in to see uh, the surgeon, a uh, heart surgeon, to have heart surgery, uh, but he wasn't available in February. So, so it was a few uh, anxious months that I had to wait. But I've had a lot of a lot of surgery time through footy, you know, arthroscopes, facial injuries, all that sort of stuff. And that's the most nervous I've ever been. That the night before was the scariest moment of I think I've ever experience you know it was just so you know i wouldn't say it was wouldn't say traumatic but it was just the what ifs you know you, they're working on a heart but still going you know you work on a knee that's okay yeah yeah, yeah. You, yeah i can end up in a chair worst case heart, the, I'm gone. You know, what are the yeah so um so what are you saying good you go saying goodbye to the kids are you sort of and all that sort of stuff and what's going through your head no look i'm very optimistic so yeah you know, at the quiet times, yes, you have the question marks, but um, you know it was uh, it was yeah it was very very daunting. Um, but uh, the recovery after it was 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 pretty pretty horrendous, um, and it was pretty full on. But you know I was just very thankful that they were able to discover what was the cause. And now I haven't had any fainting spells, uh, which I which I would have fainting spells every two once every two months. Wow, and it was uh, very scary. Obviously, so sometimes it was the same thing. Same thing, yeah. The oxygen was coming out of the heart, you know, out of the out of that hole in my heart instead of actually mobilizing myself. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so Well you're better now. Yeah, so dramatic what's that? You're all better now, which is good. Yeah. All better Mate, now. You're a uh, you're a, now a, a single dad that looks after his uh, his boys. Good how's well. how's that go for you? Yeah, it's uh yeah, look, I mean, in, in the space of I had, I had an investor uh, blackmail me. I had found out I had a stroke. I had uh, found out I had a hole in my heart. I had heart surgery, and then my wife left me on the space of six months. So it was pretty full on. Jesus, it's a big learning experience. It's in a big six learning months. experience. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I'm still standing to this day, Brett. Um, you're still optimistic, my friend. You're still optimistic. So that's all that I'm matters. I'm still optimistic. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't give up. You don't give up. You don't know what's around the corner. But uh, yeah, it was a really challenging time. There's no question about that. And, um, but, uh, you know, my boys have, have been there through it all. I've, re- you know, I look after them full time. So it's, uh, it, yeah, look, it, it certainly has its, uh, it, you know, it's all good. You know, I love it. I love, being a part of their lives, I know they're going to look back and. And are they going to play footy? Yeah, they play footy now. Do you reckon they're going to uh, uh, play in the big leagues? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Kalani's, uh, Kalani's in the Suns Academy already. He's in the Melbourne Academy. So that's pretty cool. My One of my twins, Kai, loves footy. Loves yeah. any sport. Loves footy. Loves footy. Um, and they play for the Service Paradise Demons, which for me, it's just a location thing. But, you know, when they're wearing red and blue and they've got number 34 in the back, it's pretty special. You got so, a lot of that, do Yeah. And, um, and then my other twin, Taj, he's, uh, he's uh, the entrepreneurial side of me. So love uh, he loves putting things together. He loves um, saving money and then trying to make a buck and um, very artistic, very creative. So it's really cool to see that, you know, my personalities as a sport and also the entrepreneurial side of things is really the, the mix of my kids is exactly, that's exactly where it is. It's really cool. Isn't it amazing now? I've got four kids and you look at every one of them is completely different. But then you can see yourself in every one of them, and yeah, I find that a real yeah. head spin in the in the fact that like, and also I can see their mother in them as well because like you see that attitude's different to that one, that's different to that yeah. one, and, and <laughs> she's a go getter and she's lazy and and he's this and he, it's yeah, really, yeah. really interesting. And then you can sit there and go, wow, like what's that going to be like in 10, 20, 30 years time? I think I think it's a a pretty amazing thing. It is, and it's uh, the curiosity for me. I mean, I used to love Lego as a kid, love building Lego. Taji yeah. does that. And I used to love playing outside, and Kaido does that. <laughs> so it's it's really cool that I've got the twins because I can see that because they're the same age, obviously. You know, they have got the similarities, but they're different. But those differences is me. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree yeah, 100%. Totally, mate. So, mate, we're coming towards the end. A few questions I really like to ask before we get to a couple of quick fire ones. What's your greatest achievement in life? Greatest achievement in life? I think just um, my uh, my kids. I think um, yeah. you know the, the way that the way they're going so far, and um, you know, I, I, yeah, my family is my biggest success. That's you know, you look at any success, I guess, and my my kids is my success, so I probably ah, attribute cool. that. Yeah. Who um who's the person or the people who've had the most influence on your career? Oh, definitely my my parents more so. My dad, mum was just there for emotional support, but dad was definitely there for the the hard calls and you know. You know those those talks, those those one-on-one talks that we had for such a long period of time. He was always big. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jordan, no question. When he yeah. first started that in '87, they just trying back then. There's no there's no internet, so trying to capture as much information about him as possible was 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 really crazy, and um, I owe a lot to him and and probably the players that I play with, you know, and Neil Danaher as a coach, but, uh, probably David Neitz. I live with him for three years and really dear friend of mine to this day. But, um, yeah, just the, just the players I play with as well. Okay, mate. We always finish with some quick-fire questions. Favourite food? Favourite food? Yep. Oh, good one. Um, <laughs> probably chicken, I guess, protein. That'll do. Favourite Favourite song? Favourite song? Favorite band, my favorite band is Incubus. So, um, I'd probably have to say, um, "Wish You Were Here." Okay. Favorite place in the world? Hawaii. And what's next for Jeff White? Um, successful entrepreneur post 
football career. Sounds good. <laughs> and what about what about joining the uh, when you turn fifty, going on the uh, seniors tour at golf? Yeah, I've thought about actually. A mate of mine that played it's at Royal Pines here that I remember. He's um he's just done that. Yeah. Uh, and a real credit to him. Yeah. I'd like to look. I I'd love to set you know my business ventures up to the point where uh, they can you know run themselves and they can be you know and you know part of the reason why I've set up being an entrepreneur is I love helping people uh, yeah. and 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 that's what I love about that sort of stuff. But yeah, I love golf. I really love golf. I'd love to be. I mean, my dream is to 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 go to every major in a calendar year. That's my biggest dream. Nice. Um, I've been to the Masters. But uh, my dream is to go Masters, US PGA, US Open and the British Open in one calendar year. So that's my dream. Well, mate, you should do it. Your good mate, Adam Scott, um, obviously plays well when you're there. So you should uh, you should do it while yeah, you're still playing. Yeah, well, exactly. That's exactly right. That's, you know, a little bit of a burning ambition as well. But, um, you know, he's a, he's a life member of the Masters, so I can always guarantee to give a, a ticket there. So there's one off. There's one kicked off. And... <laughs> I'm sure he'll be able to help me with the other ones, though. I'm sure he will, mate. Well, hopefully I can come with some of them with you. Mate, as far as I'm concerned, I really appreciate this today, and it's been a long time coming. Mate, as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, bro. Thanks for the invite. And, uh, yeah, I'm really appreciative to be on your show. So thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks, buddy. Hey, mate, one of Hey guys, thanks for listening and what an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels. Search for Podfire on Instagram and Facebook or find me at BJ Macker and look out for all our Podfire podcasts.